Hi, everybody. Welcome to Getting Woke with Dr. Chi. As somebody who's lived in different parts of the country, I really appreciate the regionalisms that we use. For example, when I was in California, and I was a California girl, and I talked a little bit slower, and I did this with my voice a lot, where I just got used to talking like, not quite like a valley girl, but just speaking a little different, you know? Uh, Anywho, so one of the things I really appreciate about the Californians is their multiple uses of the word dude. It could be a dude, you know? Like, what the hell are you doing? Or it could be a dude, like, oh my God, that was amazing, right? Like, there are many, many different ways of using the word dude. I also learned about, you know, phrases like, I bit it or I ate it, meaning that you fell. I also appreciated Northern Californians' use of the word hella, which I still use today, just as a, you know, to, you know, to augment. It's an augmentative word to, like, make whatever you're talking about bigger. Like, that was hella cool. Like, it was really cool, right? But then, like, living on the East Coast in the Philly area for the last 10 years means that I just really love the word John. John can mean everything and anything, right? Like, this John comes up to me, right? Like, John, spelled J-A-W-N. So it can refer to a person, right? Or let me let me smash this John. Like, I guess that could have various meanings. But I was thinking literally about, like, eating a burger. Like, oh, I'm about to smash this John. You know, it's so good. Like, this this burger right here, right? Or could, you could use John. Like, oh, yeah, so I was up. All, we went to this John the other day. We were all up in this John. Actually, I'm not sure if that's a correct use of the word John. Maybe I'm not using it correctly because I'm not a native speaker of Philadelphian. But I do, whenever people use the word John, it just makes me so happy. It just brings a smile on my little heart. Makes my heart smile just a little bit. I'm like, mm, yes, Philadelphians. That's, that's, that's the way to use it. You know, I love that. Um, and also, um, so I'm originally from Chicago. And one thing that I love every time I go back to Chicago is that I start like, Talking just a little bit more Midwesterner when I'm there, you know, just like I start picking up the accent, the the local accent, it's a little different. Um, And I also, you know, start using different words, like I immediately start saying pop, like I'd like a a cup of pop, what kind of pop you got at home, you know. I, you know, appreciate that. I love like having my Giordano's pizza. Yeah, and so like I just I I just really appreciate the different ways that people speak all across this country. I've never lived in the South before, but I'm sure that I'd probably start picking up their regionalism. So if anybody has like a regionalism that they'd like to share from like where they live in the United States, you know, please feel free to email me to message me. And like, yeah, so let me know like about the regionalisms that you adore wherever you live or wherever you've lived before. People in the past have asked me, what languages do you speak? Of course, I speak English. I also speak Spanish. And I learned Portuguese because I wanted to, be, wanted to study race in Brazil. So now I speak Portuguese. The funny thing is that I learned French. I studied French the longest in my life. Still can barely speak a lick of it. Like I can sometimes pick out words when I hear people speaking French, but I would probably need to like spend like a good five weeks, like to like two two months in France, to be able to really understand what people are saying, even if I couldn't speak it well. Um, the funny thing though, oh, I also speak 
a little, no, I don't. I'm not going to say that. I was going to say, I speak a little bit of Catalan, but no, I don't. I just know a couple words and phrases. I don't speak Catalan. I would love to speak. Magradaria molt parlar una mica de Catalan. That's all I got. I would love it. You know, I would love it a lot. Or I'd really like it if I could speak a little bit of Catalan. But it's, you know, just a little, you know, just a little, little bit. A little petit peu de Catalan, right? The funny thing is, my Ebo is trash. My Ebo is absolute trash. I am an Igbo American girl. My parents are both from Igbo land in Nigeria. And guess what language I don't speak? Igbo. And why? So this is the thing. People who like arrived in like the, you know, 2000s are like, oh yeah, we're so proud to be Nigerian. Being Nigerian is cool. It was like not like that in the 80s and 90s. No, 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 no. That was back when Nigeria's economic crisis had not, it was bad, but it wasn't as bad as it is now. And so people could stay. And so it's funny because back in the 80s, I grew up at a time in the United States in which speaking another language was not cool. Like if you spoke multiple languages, like if you spoke a language with your parents and and you were in the grocery store, people would be like, speak English. I'm like, what are you doing? And that's still true, I know, for a lot of people in America right now. The thing is that for my parents, they had the luxury of being able to switch into English so as not to make people uncomfortable, not to make the monolinguals uncomfortable. And so in that context, my parents were like, oh, we don't want our kids to be stigmatized like that. We are only going to speak English to them. And I had teachers at school who told my parents that it would confuse me to have them teach me Igbo at the same time as I was, you know, learning apparently like writing, learning how to read and write English, right? As children do, even though you speak it, don't, you don't necessarily know how to read and write it. And they're like, oh no, no, you'll confuse her. Just speak English. And that's what my parents did. And so now many, many years later, it's like, oh crap. Like if you want to learn Igbo, you really got to go to Nigeria. Like you got to go there and like stay there for a while. And you can't just go to like the big city, like Lagos and like hang out and like Victoria Island, you know, like, do you, no, 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 no. You got to go to the boonies. You got to go to village, your village, go see your people there and hang out with your people and learn it there. Because guess what? In the United States, learning Igbo is really hard. I've worked at many universities. I've attended many universities and I've seen an Igbo class once. And it was a class that met at like six o'clock at night in the evening. And they hired somebody who was, who spoke the language, but was not a teacher of the language. Now, if I had wanted to learn Yoruba, there are plenty of places all across the country that teach Yoruba. If I want to learn Swahili, you know, I know about like the history of like African-American struggles to create Africana studies and African-American studies and to like teach a language that is spoken in many countries in Africa, right? Swahili or Kiswahili. The thing is like, that is not what my people speak. <laughs> and I always find it ironic. So I'm like, wait, so... He's why he was on the other side of the continent. Why why weren't they trying to push to have some Yoruba classes in these, you know, at these universities? Or like, why weren't they pushing to have Igbo or like Chui or some I don't know. You know, different politics of which I know something, but clearly need to learn more, right? There's like a lot of like history there. But it's awkward now to be like, oh, I can learn. Kiswahili and speak that and like go to like I guess Tanzania 
Kenya, I think, speak the language as well as other places. But I can't learn Igbo at schools. So I noticed that um, there are a lot of online Igbo um, classes now. And the reality is that during this pandemic, I'm barely able to just do my job and keep myself healthy. So anything else I'm doing is just going to be like pure fun, pure joy. And studying right now is not something that seems like it would be pure fun, pure joy. But once summer hits, I'm going to try to speak some Igbo. I'm going to try to take a summer language class online so I could learn some Igbo because it would be really nice. And over the years, I've noticed that like learning a few phrases here and there just like really opens the hearts of people. Like I remember the first time I called my mother ne and like the her face was just like oh, it's like she just softened a little bit. You know, same with my dad when I called him na nam, you know, hello nam, kedu nam and he's like, Oh, my dad, you know, my, my eldest daughter, how are you? You know, it's just like, oh wait, that's not how you normally talk to me. <laughs> what happened just now? <laughs> This is not what I was used to for the last several decades of knowing you. But all of a sudden, like, speaking to people in their own language, boom, just, like, turns. I'm like, oh, yes, my dear daughter, how are you? What can I do for you? I'm like, oh, can I can I get something free out of this? Like, oh, yeah, make me some eggs. Make me some breakfast. <laughs> so all this to say that it's really important to me to learn Igbo. And you know what? I'm not dead yet, so I got some time left to learn it. And so for those of you guys who might not be familiar with, okay, everybody's familiar with like African proverb. This is an African proverb, you know? He who laughs last, last laughs, right? <laughs> I don't know. There's like a million of them. And like anybody could literally say anything and they'll be like, African proverb. Anywho, so, but at the same time, as much as I like to make jokes by African proverbs, like this is how a lot of Africans speak. They speak through proverbs. It's like a really deep, meaningful way of communicating with other people. And so I was in this clubhouse group that was sharing Igbo proverbs and helping us to translate them literally, but then also to understand what they mean, like what the English equivalent would be if there was one, and also how one would use it. And it was a great experience. I learned a lot. And one of the things that I realized that I've always known, but that it's like, oh, wow, this shows up even here. I know that Nigerians are very status conscious. We're just status conscious people. And so a lot of the, the proverbs were about like ranking people in status or like checking people if they like, don't come at me. So like, there was this one proverb that was like something about um, a palm shoot and comparing itself to a palm leaf or a palm tree and something to the extent that if you are have lack of experience around something that you really shouldn't talk about it and it's almost like you know if you're a child you know you shouldn't shh, shh, don't talk you know let the adults speak kind of thing let those who have more experience do the talking about this thing right and i was like oh yeah, yeah yeah okay but then there was another proverb that was to the extent of you'll know who your wife is when it's midnight. It was like, oh, snap, that is so true, though. That is so true. You know, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, yes. If you, you say she's your wife, but where is she at midnight? If she's not with you, she's not your wife, right? 
But then the people who were talking about it, who were um, explaining the proverb, but they were saying, no, it's not specifically about sex. And it's not specific to this particular situation. And maybe correct me if I'm wrong, you know, send me an email if I need to be corrected on that. And the translation for it was more like the proof is in the pudding. It's more like, yeah, you say that you're a great basketball player, but if it's 3 p.m. and we're going to go shoot some hoops, we'll see who the good basketball player really is. So that would be a more apt translation of, you know, talking about people's wives at midnight. It's not really meant to diss people who have wives or to, you know, say that their wife is a hoe. It's just a way of saying the proof is in the pudding. That one time when I was in Spain, that one time when I was in Spain, that reminds me of that one time when I was in Spain. Oh, you know what? That happened to me when I was in Spain. So here's one of my, when I was in Spain stories. When I was in Spain trying to learn the language, one of the things that I found the funniest thing ever was how they would end conversations. Years ago when I was there, if you like had come to an end of a conversation and nobody had anything left to say, people would say, pues nada. Well, nothing, you know, and then they're like, pues nada, well, I guess I'll see you tomorrow, you know, pues, you know, and so me and my, like, American friends, we would always, like, joke about that, and, like, we would try to stretch out our pueses as long as possible, we'd be like, pues nada. Because it's the weirdest thing ever if you're like a non-native speaker to learn that little, you know, um, phrase. And so it's one of the phrases that I learned that, and I would actually use like, correctly to, that made me really proud of myself to, at like learning a whole other language. But like using it correctly like, pues, hola, nos vemos, chao, you know, things like that. Um, the other, so that's me in, one time I was in Spain. But like, I remember there was a moment when I was in Brazil when I learned that I had like not learned the same kind of phrase, but learned a key phrase. But these key phrases and languages that just help you become sound more fluent when you're speaking, right? And I would have to think hard about what those are in English because I just speak it naturally. It doesn't, you know, I don't think about those things. I remember when I was in Brazil, like learning a key phrase that made people like pay attention to me because like a lot of Latin countries, like people just talk, talk over each other, like more aggressive with their language, but not like angry, aggressive, just like people just use it. Like we're all talking at the same time. And like, if you want to get an, a word in edgewise, sometimes you have to like be like more forceful or you have to do little things like little nuanced things that you don't really know if you're not a native speaker, right? So I remember being in Rio de Janeiro and like people were talking and I was trying to make a point. And then I remember this key phrase that I heard people use over and over, over and over again. Like, I saw, look here, you know? And I remember the first time I used it, it was magic because all of a sudden all these Brazilians who were talking, blah, 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 they all stopped and they listened to what I had to say. I was like, aha! I've got a key phrase of the Portuguese language. <laughs> I learned that in Carioca Portuguese, if you want people to listen to you and take you seriously, a phrase you can use is, all you saw. 
and people will listen. I was so proud of myself that day. Wello, thank you for listening to Getting Woke with Dr. Chi. You can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at at Chinyare Osuji. I'm also on Instagram at Chi from the Shy, CHI from DA, and then CHI again. Um, and I hope to talk to you guys soon. Enjoy your day.